Hello, and welcome to another edition of SMI's Conversations with Podcast. My name is Christine Dean, and I am the Senior Director of SMI. In this next podcast, Christine Army, the Vice President of Healthcare Systems for 3M, talks with Cecilia Moore, Chief Financial Officer and Treasurer at Vanderbilt. Cecilia shares her experiences working at both Duke and Vanderbilt, and she talks about her financial and leadership approaches, some of the financial challenges providers are facing, as well as inflation and data analytics. Cecilia also provides some advice for women starting out on their career journey. I hope you enjoy this Conversations with podcast. Let's listen now to Christine and Cecilia. Hi, Cecilia. It's a pleasure to be on the podcast with you today. Thank you for talking to the SMI members and for being a part of the SMI Conversations with podcast series. Our members are very interested in hearing what executives are thinking about and how they're preparing and planning for the future. I'm excited to learn more about you and your experiences, so let's get started. Cecilia, you have an impressive background and a wealth of experience. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became the CFO and treasurer at Vanderbilt? Uh, so and it's nice to be here today with everybody. Um, so I actually was recruited here to Vanderbilt. They were looking for somebody who, frankly, had a little bit more um, depth in revenue cycle and reimbursement given some challenges that they had had that Vanderbilt had had uh, right before I got here. Uh, so that was uh, my deeper expertise was was really in that area. They were also looking for somebody who specifically had academic medical center experience and I had worked at um, Duke University before this. So direct experience um, and just, you know, kind of uh, working, you know, seem to click with the management team. That's really how I ended up here um, at Vanderbilt. Excellent. And so through your journey, I'm just curious, did you set goals early in your career and your college experience? Not to do what I'm doing today. Uh, so <laughs> when I was in college, I really was more interested, frankly, in, I still was interested in healthcare, not from a clinical perspective, but more from a policy perspective. So I really thought I was going to do uh, more health policy related work, maybe, you know, PhD in health policy, um, make sure that everybody has the right access to healthcare. That was definitely more my area of interest. But uh, that uh, kind of uh, went by the wayside when I ended up getting my master's and focused more on the business side of healthcare. Realized that, wow, paying off your student loans with a PhD is a lot harder. Um, so, ended up uh, focusing more, you know, accounting and finance and uh, went that route. So, that way I could kind of still combine the interest in healthcare, but not um, specifically going the act more the traditional academic route. I guess I'm still in an academic medical center. So, I'm part of the way there. Right, right. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you mentioned that you got started in revenue cycle. And so what did you learn at that time as to how to best motivate your workforce? Yeah, and I didn't, uh, honestly, I kind of started in consulting and I was like the accidental revenue cycle person, you know, the thing that some people don't want to do. I've done a lot of I did a lot of you know, finance work, um, managed care, financial analysis, a little bit of controller work. So 
Um, I, I was just kind of drafted to do revenue cycle in a couple of different um, instances. So, you know, that was different. Um, being a being more of a traditional finance person, you're usually not used to managing this team of, I don't know, you know, 1200 people. So that that was different. And I think the real thing you learn when you're trying to um, when you're trying to motivate a, a group who's frankly pretty diverse and not necessarily the same um, motivation and um, maybe interest level that you would see in a finance team, you, know, you really have to focus more on things that are maybe uh, more immediate rewards, uh, being really upfront and honest about what expectations are, uh, being really transparent about you know, what teams need and teams can expect um, from, you know, from other team members and their leaders. So I think one of the things I really uh, figured out is, you, you know, you have to be super transparent uh, with expectations and you have to have a really, really strong leadership team because um, with that many individuals and that many diverse perspectives, if you don't have leaders who are really interested in their people and interested in interacting with them on a daily basis, uh, you're just not gonna be successful. Yeah, those are great insights. Um, so um, about your leadership team and, and uh, let's focus on that for a minute. Uh, so with your operational financial and leadership approaches that you have, what do you look for in employees uh, that are leaders on your team? Uh, yeah, I think that that is a super you know important thing. And I've had to, you know, in, in my last position and in, in my position here, you know, recruit for people who, um, you know, could fill definite, definitely various roles. But I think one thing that I would say uh, is kind of universal is having an individual who's truly a team player. They want to work with other people. And, you know, sometimes they might not be the most skilled technically, uh, but if they know how to hire and lead other people, um, they can be just as good as somebody who's, you know, was always the A plus student, did everything perfectly, but just doesn't interact as effectively with others. So I would say, you know, definitely being a team player, wanting to be a leader, wanting to take that on, that's really um, very important. Uh, and I think somebody who frankly can manage, particularly in this environment, um, I wouldn't even say multiple priorities. I would say, you know, tens of not hundreds, but yeah. a number of priorities and not minding that that changes on a, you know, day in and day out basis. And frankly, as you think more about, you know, different than supply chain people, supply chain and revenue cycle people are really very operationally focused. When you think about financial leaders, we, you know, true finance leaders would really prefer to stare at their spreadsheets most of the day. <laughs> so you have to look at people who are going to want to interact with others, want to yeah. do, you know, want to vary things up a little bit and, and motivate their team. So, I mean, that's honestly what I always look for in, um, in my leadership group, working together and, and being willing to, you know, juggle and, and interact a lot with, with other peers and, and, and uh, people on their team. Excellent. Thank you. Um, having worked at both Duke and Vanderbilt, What's different about academic medical centers and how is the culture different? Uh, well, different than, uh, so let's start with an academic medical center versus, um, 
I don't know, any other business, uh, you know, academic medical centers are exactly what they say. And depending on, you know, the size and scope, they are very educationally focused. So, um, you know, here at Vanderbilt, we say we're an academic medical center with a capital A because we do a ton of research, same thing at Duke. Um, we uh, love educating students, be it our residents, our fellows, nursing students, pharmacy students, you name it, they're here on campus. So I think that what makes you different in an academic medical center than what you see just in a, a hospital, regional hospital, or even a large system is really the desire to balance different missions, which is hard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're in a traditional health system, they are solely focused on patient care and, and honestly, probably making, you know, re really a margin on that care. Here in an academic medical center, we're focused not only on making sure that we can make a margin from our patient care, but we we're thinking about how we can support other missions that frankly, nobody pays us to really um, do enough. Uh, it's, it's always kind of at a loss. So I think the difference in an academic medical center is just the level of, um, you know, the level of focus on uh, research, education, and really trying to balance three different missions that aren't always completely aligned, frankly. Sure. Yeah, yep, that makes a lot of sense. So as we sit here today, uh, in almost the end of 2022, providers are facing tremendous financial challenges. What are some of the key strategies hospitals can use to stay viable, from your opinion? Uh, yeah, this is not the most fun environment. Uh, I think that most of us in, you know, healthcare, not-for-profit or for-profit healthcare have seen in a long time. So I think it's um, a number of, you know, a number of, uh, of different strategies. First, you know, obviously the group that, you know, that we're talking with focused on supply chain, focused on managing um, cost, uh, understanding metrics, uh, that, you know, that's all important. I would say that's the basic kind of blocking and tackling. I think the thing that we're really focused on and many academic medical centers are focused on and non-academic is labor. I mean, it is not, you know, even if you have the best supply chain cost and the best cost for all your um, pharmaceutical contracts and everything else, uh, that's not gonna get you there. Right now, the name of the game is labor. And I think that the organizations that are going to be successful and frankly be able to manage in this new normal are going to be the ones that are going to come up with new labor models, whether that is, um, you know, different types of staffing, uh, being open to, you know, having a different mix in their clinical environments, um, using uh, different types of tools. I mean, I know that you know, we've thought about how uh, virtual nursing is out there. Um, you know, you, we've thought about some robotics um, and how we could use that in, in various environments, because no matter, who, I mean, even if you are the best at paying people, at, you're the most motivating employer, they're just not enough human beings uh, right now in the workforce, at least from what we've seen yeah. uh, to, you know, it's just, I think we I think COVID kind of we reached an inflection point with COVID and then everybody got old kind of right at the same time. And <laughs> boom, uh, here we are. And um, that really is going to make it, I think, extremely challenging in healthcare for 
the foreseeable future and and for industries, uh, you know, kind of across the board. Uh, right. I'm not, you know, we're we're trying to be as creative as we can, but you just you know you cannot you just can't find all the people you need to take care of um, of the patients, and it, it varies market by market and. You know, in a market like ours, I mean, Nashville, Tennessee is very, uh, it's growing. It's a growth market, high demand. So that kind of exacerbates the whole labor need. Yeah. But in other markets, they still are struggling to find people, even if their demand's not quite as high. So I, I, that's to me is, I think, being flexible with flexible with the workforce, being creative, not closing down options on what you might look at, which you might not have looked at, you know two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. I know we're certainly feeling it on the supplier side too with labor. So, um, all right. So if we look ahead, inflation Mm -hmm. is on top of everyone's mind. Um, What do you see as the economic state for 2023? Uh, I think we're going to continue. You know, it's funny. You you listen to these, you know, the business pundits and, you know, we're looking at what the Federal Reserve is going to do and are they going to continue to raise interest rates? Sure, I think so. I'm a little pessimistic on um, how that's going to really cool things off because I'm still back to labor. (laughs) I mean, we're all bidding for the same, um, the same people. And that that's really continuing to push up wages for existing, uh, for existing staff. So I do think we're going to continue to see even if supply inflation maybe backs off a bit. I still find that hard to believe because I think you're going to continue to see um, wages bid up uh, because of the lack of um, available staffing uh, across industries, not just in healthcare. I think it's a little worse in healthcare with some of the healthcare professions and the burnout from COVID. But, you know, in other organizations where you have a need for, I mean, everybody has a need for IT staff of some kind. They're not enough people in STEM. Yeah. Um, so uh, we've, I think, just got a structural problem with our labor. So I think we're going to continue to see that into, frankly, into the foreseeable future. I, I'm hopeful that eventually, you know, maybe our, my kids will graduate from college and do something uh, helpful for us all. But um, right now, uh, I do think that's going to be kind of the state of play for the next year or two, frankly. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, thank you for that. So we talk a lot at SMI about data and analytics. Uh, can you tell us about the data that you use and what's important for you to make critical decisions regarding supply chain metrics? Uh, so I do depend heavily on our uh, chief supply chain officer who stays on top of all of you know, the, our supply chain data. I mean, we've really focused on, you know, comparative data sets. So making sure how we stack up versus uh, other organizations. Um, we've also tried to provide um, the most granular data possible we can to our clinicians, physicians, particularly academic physicians, just love digging into data. So <laughs> we, uh, we do the, you know, we, we have provided very uh, detailed analytics so we can see, you know, cost per case at, um, at a real micro level. So that's what we are often using when we're trying to make decisions, you know, product decisions which we do leave to the clinicians with guidance. So I think that is one thing, um, you know, that's something we use heavily. We are not, um, we, we certainly have, I think here at Vanderbilt, a lot of really good data. 
Um, I do think that the most important thing that we can look at is benchmarking externally from a pricing perspective, but internally, a lot of it is benchmarking clinician against clinician so that they can see their variances in their practice patterns and, um, you know, and try to make uh, some of those changes. So that's really what we focused on. And then you make that visible to them, I presume. So that- Absolutely. Yeah. We've done a lot of uh, visualization using various uh, tools. We have a really detailed cost accounting system. Um, most we're lucky here at Vanderbilt. We have both our professional and our hospital data, and we combined it into one, um, one set of cost data. So we can very transparently see um, and compare across the entire spectrum. In a lot of cases, you only have really the hospital data. And here we have the hospital and the physician data, and it, it, it makes for great comparisons and really great um, conversations, I think, uh, between physician leaders. And often the physician leaders will be the ones who present. Uh, we had a fabulous right. presentation by one of our surgeons a couple of months ago about some of the variation that, that they'd found in just their own um, practice. And that was really, you know, it's really interesting to see that and the, the really their willingness to look at that data at a detail level. Absolutely. And engagement. That's great. Um, we have an advancing women leader program here at SMI where the uh, board members mentor women in supply chain and Mm -hmm. other customer facing roles. And so what advice would you give women starting out on their career journey? Um, I guess I would say, I think things have changed a lot. Frankly, even in the past, I've been in this role. uh, I'm going into my 10th year, I think at this point. Is that right? Yes. Um, And um, you know, I think I've seen a lot more women in leadership positions than particularly, you know, in my role in the, in the uh, CFO type roles that has changed dramatically. I definitely remember when I was one of maybe two women in the room um, in big academic medical centers. And, you know, it's, it's definitely gotten significantly better. So I think that women should absolutely not think that there are any barriers, um, at, you know, at this point, uh, there is nowhere where they, shouldn't or could can't be. Uh, I do think that the other thing that, you know, women should look at is where they'll be supportive. I mean, you can kind of tell when you're talking to different organizations, who's going to be more supportive of um, career advancement, whether it's, whether it's women or or, uh, people who are, you know, come from diverse backgrounds. And I think that's also an important way uh, for women to judge where they want to where they want to be and where they want to start their career. I mean, the support of uh, leadership and other peers is, I think, so important in, you know, in trying to get to that next level or whatever level um, you'd like to be. Absolutely. Great, great advice. Um, One more. If you Mm -hmm. could point to one thing, perhaps a failure, doesn't have to be, but if you could point to one thing that you wished you could do over, what would that be? Um, I think, the things that has have been the most challenging in my career, and frankly, we're doing one here at Vanderbilt right now, is anything related to an IT system conversion. So I do think that, and you know, I've been involved in a couple of different system conversions. They've not done gone all that well. And I think the <laughs> too, do-over, the yeah, I, I just, it's, the do-over would be, I think I want to do it over every time I do it is, you know, being more realistic about timelines and budgets and 
how you how much work and pressure it's going to be on teams because at the end of almost every project you end up realizing oh i've got to bring in these extra x number of people to help me get over the hump and that's just you know you think you'd learn that but gosh on time number whatever i'm on it, it's just an area that um you realize you're going to have to do that most everybody's going to do that multiple times in their career and that is a tough, um, that is a really, that's a tough thing to learn. I think my second piece would be how important it is, whether it's in an IT project or other projects, to really wrap um, exceptional project management around it, because that can make a huge difference in the outcome. And uh, that to me is something that potentially I didn't take advantage of enough as, as I should have in the past. So that's kind of a generic ongoing failure. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. I definitely feel your pain on that one. Mm, well, I bet. <laughs> this, this has been fantastic. It was great to have a chance to talk with you today and to learn more about your background and your leadership skills and process. And thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. I wish you and your team at Vanderbilt the best in 2023. All right. Thanks so much. It was fun. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you very much for listening to our Conversations with podcast. And I want to especially thank Christine Army from 3M and Cecilia Moore from Vanderbilt University Medical Center. I hope you tune in to our next Conversations with podcast. Thank you.